everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. It's your host, Mr. Ryan Parrish. Joining me today, Mr. Keith Bluefield. Thanks for having us back, Ryan. Mr. Lee Price, welcome. Hello. Uh, Mr. Matt Lowell. Hello. Hello. And special guest, uh, you might have heard on the podcast before if you listened to some of our previous episodes where we've looked inside uh, Worlds Apart, Birmingham, or Nostalgia Comics, as it was known back then. It's Lauren Tranter. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thank you. All right. How have we all been the last few weeks of the pandemic? Keith, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? This is always a very difficult question to ask during a global pandemic when there's basically <laughs> Netflix and... Um, Comics to read, and that's about it. We, um, we, we don't judge viewing a... preferences on this show, Keith. We're an all-inclusive. <laughs> I mean, I know you've been training the last few series of Bake Off, so it's fine. You can catch up that way. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I do. I have watched Bake Off, just mostly because I can shout at um, poor Hollywood on the screen. Um, really, just shout abuse at him. It's quite cathartic, really. Now, I've just been catching up on a few movies that have, um, have been out on Netflix, uh, which have been talked about quite a lot of people liking them some i didn't like so much i wasn't too um um enamored on a couple of those and then uh went on a spending spree on uh itunes picking up loads of kind of really uh terrible 80s movies like the outsiders and rumblefish and stuff uh, i think this week i this week i went a bit later and picked up the untouchables with kevin costner and um sean connery for no other reason than the music, which I quite like the music that um, was done for that. Uh, Morricone um, did the music for that. And then just reading um, old issues of uh, Zenith out of 2000 AD. Um, got some collected editions of those. So I was kind of reading those up and suddenly realizing how much Zenith isn't actually in most of it. It's like, they call, it's got the whole series is called about him and he's hardly in it until after the first kind of few issues. Um, but that's quite nice reading some more black and white comics and then kind of like wishing that I hadn't backed half a dozen different Kickstarters um, when they go, yeah, we're going to charge you now for all of these things you backed 40 days ago. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, yeah. And looking at some new ones. Um, there's some that we've kind of mentioned over the last few weeks and we've got a new one um, that's just launched in the last week, which mm-hmm. is um, local boy Ian Richardson and his friend from America. Uh, who've written a book called The Unthinkables, um, which we previewed a while back uh, earlier in the year, and that's now going to be available for um, print Mm -hmm. um, editions, which is pretty cool. It's nice just see Ian doing like a whole book rather than just a cover, uh, which is really good because I I do genuinely think he's up there with the likes of um, Brian Hitch and uh, that for the kind of widescreen action um, books. why, Why he hasn't been snapped up by one of the big companies to do a regular book is um, beyond me at the moment. Me too. I mean, I've already backed that one. And luckily this one falls on next payday that the backer fulfillment uh-huh. is required. So I'm like, eh, that's fine. So I know I've bought way too many Kickstarters and it's all Keith's fault, to be honest, because it keeps going sharing stuff like, this is really cool. You should pick up this comic. And then I ended up buying like the super ridiculously expensive pack 
just the the extras which never get removed from the box as soon as you as soon as it arrives. Yeah, you end up with that pile of prints and fridge magnets, and you think my fridge isn't big enough to put all of these fridge magnets on. <laughs> what what they need to do is cakes. Yeah, you, know, you back and you get you get a bunch of cakes, themed cakes. That would be easier because then they could come, you could eat them, and they wouldn't take up any room. I remember back um, in the very early Wild West days of Kickstarter, somebody funded a potato salad on there. Crowdfunded <laughs> this. You might remember this story. Somebody crowdfunded a potato salad and he got something like over $100,000 for it and then ended up having to make enough potato salad to ship it around the world. I, yeah, I think I remember, I remember yeah, I think, like, the yeah. hype around that. Not so much like, yeah. like the Kickstarter kind of being promoted, but the fact that this potato salad was just going worldwide. I think I remember something about it, but I don't internet. remember the logistics of it. Again, <laughs> yeah. so. Back when the internet was fun and not all people shouting at each other all the time. I know people have always been shouting at each other. I mean, <laughs> it's just gotten louder. <laughs> it's just spread out from MySpace. That was that was the root of all our problems. <laughs> yeah. Untouchables, by the way, Keith. Is that the movie where Sean Connery has a Scottish accent, even though he's pretending to be an American? Isn't that every movie? That's, yeah, that's, that's 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 any movie that Sean Connery's in. I think he's supposed to be Irish. Is there a movie it? where he's like pretending to be Chinese with the Scottish accent as well? I think. Ooh, I, think I don't know. I know I he's. I know he's in a Wesley. movie where he's. Yeah, I think Egyptian. I think there's a movie with Wesley Snipes he did where he's basically him from Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, you mean? Um, I think it was called Red Rain or something. It was a Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. Um, potentially, possibly. I think it might have been Andy Garcia that he was in with that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I just remember him speaking Cantonese in a very broad Scottish accent <laughs> and wondering if anybody could actually understand the word he's saying. Yeah. I think that's definitely a Ridley Scott movie. I can't remember the title. I know it was terrible. And the only thing you can remember for it is that Ridley just went, I like those fans I had in Blade Runner. Can I do that again? <laughs> I mean, there was just lots of like fans going around. <laughs> it was just like Ridley Scott doing his John Woo. If at any moment uh, somebody can walk past a fan, that's great. Um, so there would be a bunch of doves in the doorway. We'll, we'll segue um, quickly away miss, from. Uh, I think we'll segue away from Ridley Scott's only fans going. Here, so. <laughs> Lee, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Um, I mean, when not like making a ridiculously huge horror video, but. Halloween. Um, I think I've been playing just more of my never-ending backlog of games. Um, I've started playing um, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. It's one of the games I've been playing recently, uh, which is the pirate one, and is excellent just because you get to just be a pirate for ages. I have no real idea what's happening in the plot. I'm just being. I'm just like it's. It's. I'm a pirate. What else? Have I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and sort of more sort of Halloween appropriate. I've also been playing through the Evil Within as well. At least I've started that and kind of struggling through it because it's not quite as good as I was hoping it would be. But uh... isn't there like the first half of that game where you don't actually have like any weapons at all, which is probably your not favourite kind of horror game if I recall correctly. It's it's um it's more that like you have weapons but the amount of 
ammo and stuff available is so small, you may as well not have weapons. Um, and I think it's more just kind of the problems with it are more kind of it's kind of clunky, and there's the stealth mechanics are really uh, they're really iffy. They they don't sort of they're not really consistent. Like sometimes you'll sneak up behind someone one time and be successful and then sneak up behind them another time and they'll just turn around at the last minute and the amount of times that that's happened and I've just been like right I'm done <laughs> but yeah like I thought I would like it a lot more than I'm currently doing just because I've liked the Resident Evil games and obviously it's the same director um, but uh, just I'm struggling with it and then they introduced invisible enemies and I was just like oh good that's that's even better <laughs> and then not only is it frustrating I can't see them coming so that's exactly what you want in a first-person survival horror game, isn't it? Things you can't see. Which gonna... Good job. Well, no this, one is... this one isn't first-person, though. This one... <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's the... it's the one with the detective guy. Oh, uh, is it the over-the-shouldery one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Resident Evil 4 camera, which has infested every yes. game under the sun for all time. <laughs> uh, it, it works in Resident Evil and in... Uh... Dead space. Yeah. So no point no no worries trying it out in here. But <laughs> uh, ended up kind of putting that aside at one point and it was just like I'm gonna play another horror related game and play Carrion last since it's on Game Pass, and that is an excellent game. Um because it's basically a horror game, but you are the horror. So nice. it's it's a Metroidvania, but you are like this alien biological mass is the best way to describe it. It's just <laughs> mouths and tentacles and you crawl through vents and you're just trying to like avoid being killed and just try and spread your biomass throughout this base and it's it's horrific but it's also a lot of fun. Alien biological mass probably consumed most people's body weight since the start of the pandemic. <laughs> Many hours Pretty on the much. sofa just like slowly consuming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if you're not aware, Lee's doing his series of horror-themed spooky videos on his YouTube channel, Bob the Pet Ferret, so mm-hmm. go and check those out. Uh, yes. You did a Fatal Frame White Bad, I think was the last one I watched. No, I did... Um, not Amy, sorry, Amy White's Bad. Amy, Amy White's Bad. Oh, Amy. A horror game that came out a year before The Last of Us and is like inversely proportional to the quality of The Last of Us. <laughs> so, um, but currently... Uh, working on the final touches of my general techniques of horror, uh, losing the plot, which is my narrative analysis series. So looking at all the different ways that horror media in general, but also games, um, just the things they do to try and scare us in various different ways. So a lot of that in there. It meant that I get to use clips of the thing at one point, um, among other movies. Such a classic movie that is. Mm-hmm. It, it, it amazes me how much it holds up to this day. The thing it does, mm-hmm. and even the even the prequel slash sequel looks worse now than the original movie, which they spent mm-hmm. like thirty years making. It's just yeah. one of those odd things. Uh, there was also a point while editing it where I had the well from the ring on my monitor. And I was just like, right, I need to get this off my monitor. <laughs> just, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> that was fun. Matt, what have you been up to the last few weeks since we saw you? Oh, I've been a bit ill, so I've pretty much not left the house for three weeks. Um, 
But to combat that, I I love October's my favorite month because I, I love horror, I love Halloween. So kind of similar to Lee, I've been playing loads of horror games um, that I've accumulated. Some of them I've I've completed before, others I'm trying for the first time. Um, and one of them actually is Evil Within 2, um, which I having played the first one, I completely understand where you're coming from. It is janky as hell. Um, but the second one, they've kind of improved it a lot in terms of there's a lot more ammo, but it's still kind of quite an authentic survival horror. Um, and without giving too much weight in, in the plot, um, what I found hard about the first one was because you were jumping from one setting to another setting with no real kind of reason why until it's explained a lot later your kind of immersion gets a bit, you get a bit frustrated because just there being like, I was literally in a mental asylum and now I'm in a castle, what the hell's going on? Whereas I think in the second one, they've kind of grounded that a lot better. So you'd still have a lot of like episodes and like reality bending, but it's a, it's a lot more kind of grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing that. I've been playing things like Darkwood, which is a top-down survival horror game, and that is brilliant. It's miserable, depressing, and incredibly sort of like scary, but it's really, really good. That's about um, you're stuck in a forest in Poland, and you're you're a survivor of this uh, this viral disease. Very, very topical. And um, it's changing people into like monsters, that kind of thing. So during the day, you're scavenging, talking to NPCs, doing quests, that kind of thing. At night, you're holed up trying to sort of survive. Um, and yeah, just just that's pretty much my my day. I'm not working. I'm just sat here playing games, playing horror games, absorbing in the sort of misery and murder and violence and gore of everything. <laughs> the, the fun October that we all enjoy there. Well, yeah. <laughs> October, Christmas for goths, as it was always. Because <laughs> 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 you're mentioning uh, Evil Within 2, though. Um, one thing that always stands out with, with that is the Easter egg that I've seen floating around, where you can go back to like a location early on in the game, and the guy in the room just says, like, it's evil, I'm not going out there, it's evil out there. And he's like, yes, but there's evil within too. <laughs> <laughs> This is amazing. <laughs> That's literally all I know about Evil Within 2 is just that stupid joke. And you're like, the thing. meta, yeah. <laughs> and they do kind of look at, they look at the camera as well for a moment and they're just like, why are you looking at the camera? <laughs> that scene has just been designed for social media to be reposted. <laughs> Next I'll put a dog eating a doggy in some soup or something in there just in the corner, just as a nice little <laughs> can you pet the dog like just petting having a dog petting scene in your game is going to get it on there anyway so a lot of indie games are doing that at the moment it's a it's a good way of getting marketing in there i suppose mm-hmm. I, I mean in fairness that's why last of us 2 is game of the year because i spent hours with that german shepherd and we bonded quite a lot <laughs> lauren welcome to the show thank you How's the pandemic been treating you? Well, it is like the weirdest, worst summer holiday from when you were 15 years old. <laughs> and you couldn't go anywhere. And you had no money. All your friends had gone on really, really nice holidays. So you can't even spend any time with them. 
you can't even go into your grams. It's just, it's just a kind of weird kind of time warp bubble. So, yeah, it, it's still feeling that. Only now it's dark. Yeah, <laughs> just, I think just, <laughs> just to make it even worse. Yeah, yeah. I think I referenced but, um, a couple of episodes that Simpsons episode where Bart breaks his leg and he's like <laughs> stuck upstairs watching all of his friends yeah. play in the pool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a little bit of that, but it's on one hand. It's. I haven't been as productive as some things I've been intending to, but otherwise I've been like watching lots of Netflix. Um, I have to unfortunately put myself on the list of people who are disappointed with Bly Manor. Um, it wasn't scary. It was highly predictable. Um, I, I know a lot of people are kind of like saying, I divided on the whole... It didn't feel like it's actually set in Britain, even though it's supposed to be set in Britain. And so we're like, oh, no, well, that doesn't matter. But it completely broke the immersion for me in several instances. And I'm just like, is this on purpose? Is this is this yeah. not? But I, I predicted, like, most of the twists, so to speak. And it just didn't... Because Hill House is so good. Like, I, I even rewatched it just before I rewatched By Manor. And it just wasn't... It just wasn't as good. The best way um, I've heard it described, it was like an Alton Towers ride version of Hill Manor. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very good way of describing it. Yes, I completely agree. Um, so just rewatch The Witcher instead. It's just <laughs> such a better TV. Um, yeah, I did start re reading because I've been meant to do this for years, but the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Just started reading that. Um, Always promised a friend I would from like way back in college because she was mad on it. But now it's actually been made into an Amazon show. Um, probably finally time to jump on that bandwagon first. I'm exactly and see how the that kind of goes. You. But it's it's like an all encompassing like this is the fear for like the Song of Ice and Fire series that you know good old Georgie is going to pop his clogs before he finishes, which is what happened unfortunately to Robert Jordan. So they had to bring on, um, I think it was Sanderson to finish Brian, the series. Yeah. And Brian Sanderson. Yeah, Brian Sanderson. Yeah. And he's an amazing writer, so I'm sure he he, he did a good job, but mm-hmm. is that going to be his career? And is he going to finish, yeah. you know, George R.'s work next? So <laughs> we'll that, have that, to see. Imagine that being your career highlights. It's like, <laughs> I, I took over for dead authors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's possibly a very valid career path, it's so... Yeah. Uh, and I'm also working my way through Wheel of Time. I think I'm to about book seven. I've forgotten all the names now because it's just one long book in my head. It, yeah. it just never finishes. But, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the Amazon series as long as they don't mess around with it too much. Yeah, it's one of those... It's, it's, yeah. it's going to be hard until we see anything solid, like any sort of clips or anything like that, but... Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. I mean, Fingers crossed. Yeah, they put Rosamund Pike in there. Yeah, but it, it sounds like they've got a solid casting, and I have great hopes for it. I mean, Jeff Bezos apparently likes the Wheel of Time series, <laughs> so if he's going to do the same as he did for The Expanse, I'm looking forward to that, where Jeff Bezos just basically Hopefully. Pays. Yeah, it's just but Jeff Bezos pays for his own fan fiction now. That, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I have enough money to make any show I want. I will do the series that I like. <laughs> 
Yeah, they are a fantastic series of books. I'm listening to the Audible <laughs> versions. I'm too lazy to actually read nowadays. But I was no. going to say, that's cheating. Cheat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm reading the actual text, so it will take me much longer. But I'll, I'll get there eventually. I'll, I will get there one day. Yes. We don't criticise any medium. <laughs> They're all valid forms. <laughs> when I say that, I'm, I'm doing the same with Game of Thrones audiobooks. I looked at the book and I was like, no, no. I think I think the internet has ruined our attention spans now to like we are sparrows. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like I remember back in the day when I was a teenager, I read Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire in one night. Hmm. I got it on release day. I was so excited, took it home, and I just read and read and read from about five o'clock in the like afternoon slash evening until like four in the morning, and I was just wrecked afterwards because I don't know if you. Any Harry Potter fans here? Uh, I watched Goblet of Fire yesterday because I'm currently reworking my way through the entire films. I mean, the the book is better. The book is better. I appreciate the book. The book was just complete. Yeah. Like that. That went mental. Like they 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 do get progressively darker and darker and darker. But Goblet of Fire is where it takes dramatic left turn into. This is awful. Yeah. And everything getting bad. Yeah, it's like the first time anything anybody actually dies in it because it's always oh they've been frozen or they've been turned to stone by the basilisk. Yeah, it's it's the first very on screen significant death, but also like it was such a casual death. Yeah. Like they turn up and it's like oh adavra cadavra, and it's just like Cedric just drops. It's like <laughs> spoilers for those who've yeah. not. Got round to the Harry Potter last twenty. I think it's twenty years. I think we're fine now. I think I think that 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 spoiler spoilerific one has gone. Mm -hmm. But they are fantastic series of books, and again, great fantasy as well. We we will skip past the current state of the author (laughs) of those books. Uh, you can, you, you know, we can own the books. We can just yes, she must not be named. Yeah. <laughs> just she's become umbrage. It's just like no, just yeah. no. Going back to your Game of Thrones though, if, if George does pop it, you've always got the guys who did the TV show <laughs> to finish it off for you. Um, yeah, but I probably would rather I, but... write my own version. <laughs> that is the polite way for it. But apparently, that was based on George de Blas Martin's. I, I believe I believe that there's plot points that he said that's going to be the end. I believe that they probably just didn't go there in any logical way because they, they, they've missed out so much from the TV show anyway that they couldn't finish it in the any way resembling what the book would. Um, yeah, loads of characters who are missing or who are dead. Hashtag Lady Stoneheart lives. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a bit, one of the biggest disappointment. It's just like she's not in the TV show whatsoever, and it's just like yeah, it's a trick there. Uh, yeah, I think as you mentioned with like them getting the cliff notes from George R. R. Martin, I think he just basically put them in the shredder after season eight premiered, and it just started yeah. again. That's probably the delay this time around. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Let's let's, let's just move mm-hmm. it off to one point. My, my impression. Um, and it could have. 
my impression of what happened with that show is that like they gave he, they he gave them the notes and they just adapted the notes ignoring the fact that he intended to write bits in between yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i mean the whole bit of what's his face mr Pirates of the Caribbean character that they shoved in in the final series. Him just swimming from a fleet from five miles away to turn up to stab somebody just at the right time. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, I think there should have been like an episode here at some point between explaining why he was on the ship and now why he's yeah, on the beach. That's the point, is like, it, it's, a note. it's like he stabs someone, but the previous note was he swims out to sea, and they were like, oh, well, clearly those two things are connected. <laughs> that was one of my problems with this series was that it should have been like the last episode in itself should have been like the span of a season mm-hmm. like Daenerys should have slowly crumbled into dictatorship and madness not like you know lost the just turned up at King's Landing lost the plot and burned everything it's just like it it just didn't do the character any justice, and yeah, it's, it was the foreshadowing. The foreshadowing was there, but it there was no payoff. Yeah, it was basically portray your mental <laughs> breakdown in five seconds of a close up of your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Al is tall in the background. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, it, it's for a show that had such a cultural impact and was everywhere for so long. It managed to basically implode on itself. Um, yeah, it's like the book readers are still loyal. Yes, fair enough. But the people who were like so invested in Game of Thrones the show, it's like had as much cultural impact as the Avatar movies. Now it's like mm-hmm. it was a big thing when it was there, but now it's like everybody's just moved on and moved past, and we're all waiting for the next big mm-hmm. TV show to take over our hearts. It's a bit of a shame, really, for a series that's been so long in the works and was so well adapted for the first five seasons. Very strange. You never know. They might reshoot it in about five years' time. They'll start again from the beginning. Seems to be the thing now. I mean, we're getting a Save by the Bell reboot, so anything's possible. Or you do young Game of Thrones, where you take all the characters back to when they were little. You do that. Like Muppet Babies, Babies, but with all the characters out of Game of Thrones. I think they are doing... (laughs) I think there's still the prequel series rumoured, but it's gone very, very quiet recently. There's supposed to be like a whole prequel series about like young Ned Stark and that time and like the first big war that we don't get any we just hear mentioned. But yeah. I don't know if that's still in the works or if HBO have just given up on that one. So is it time to ask you, Ryan, what you've been doing in the few weeks between the last recording and this? Spent way too much money on Kickstarters. Uh I was due to go overseas on holiday and that didn't happen. Because yeah, well anyway. <laughs> So I spent that time. You spent too money on too much money on Kickstarters. That's what the reason was. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. So instead, I purchased Far Loan Sales on when it was on Steam sale a couple of weeks ago. Uh, had a quick play of that. Really great indie game. If you're not checked it out, really go and check it out. Really, really recommended. And I've restarted watching the Harry Potter movies. So as I just mentioned, finished watching Goblet of Fire. And I forgot how much they age between each movie. It's very weird to see it in such a rapid progression. It's they go from like four foot tall to like adults in the in the space of a few hours. It's like it's, it's full on rapid aging. It's very weird to watch. But uh, as it's even know, worse when you kind of look at how old they actually are. So because Tom Felton <laughs> is significantly older than everybody else, so he's like twenty four playing 
17 or whatever it is as time goes on it's kind of crazy when you think about how how they actually how old they actually were uh, after the first few films yeah you can tell when his hair turned from naturally blonde to dyed blonde for at a specific point in the movies <laughs> and it's like hmm your hair has changed colour very quickly there hasn't it Tom yes <laughs> and like they all have this thing where they all start off with short bob haircuts and then they all get long mm-hmm. hair and then they all get short haircuts it's like it's, it's like, like that that one direction haircut phase they all have between like like films three to five. Yeah. It's just like all shaggy haired, like Ollie Styles or something. <laughs> Ollie Music. Not into pop music. <laughs> yeah. It's it just it's just weird watching them back now and seeing how telling the CGI is see as well, especially in the earlier films. When you like watch the bit with the troll in the toilet. It's like, mm, that that's not aged as as well as <laughs> expected on the CGI front there. It's interesting rewatching them back now as kind of like a historical piece. They're all coming up like, well, they're, it's like what, 2007, 2008 kind of period that they started off? It's, it, it, it feels, oh, it's earlier than that. Right? Yeah, I think so. It's just two or three. Yeah, and we're like 2001, 2002. No, yeah, 2001, yeah, 2002. Yeah, it just, just feels weird watching them back after so long, and it's kind of like. Mm, they, they were great films. It's like watching Lord of the Rings, which always great films to watch back, but they were very much that early 2000s kind of setting movies. It's interesting as well, because you think Harry Potter, the books are actually set in the 90s, and they try and do that for the first couple of films. If you notice, they try and yeah. match the technologies, and then they just give up halfway through the movies. It's like, it's now. It's fine. It's now, now. Because <laughs> that's... Sorry, Carol. I'm surprised they just don't all have mobile phones at some point and just like have a wand but a mobile at the same time. <laughs> well, tech doesn't work at Hogwarts. It's yeah. all disrupted. But yet, there's barely any reference to the actual time frame in the books. Like, it actually starts in like 1990. Yeah. Or something. It's like roughly when, like, Humans might not be named. Started writing it was in like the like 1990, kind of period. Then it was published in 1997. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they they kind of, but because Hogwarts is this little bubble where tech doesn't work, it kind of doesn't come into it that much. Yeah, it's just because I noticed it because you got like um, the Dursley's car in the first couple of movies. They were quite old Rover. And then when I was watching the night bus scene with the half Finch, you got two brand new. Boris double decker buses, and it's like, hmm, that, that must have been mm-hmm. a very old car that they had. Uh, I understand working with what you've got, but it's kind of, you can tell just like those kind of bits just dropped out the window at some point during the during the construction of the films. But also, like with the with the current climate, and as an adult, I then go back and I go, how would Hogwarts function? How would Hogwarts be COVID secure? I wonder. Um, <laughs> They're just like they're just like the Slytherins in the in the dungeon, and that was just like all good nice social distancing for the other house. Yeah, you have, you have to bubble in your common room. <laughs> We're not teaching charms because they're on furlough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it would be. It's going to be very interesting to see what kind of media comes out of all this pandemic stuff. 
I'm sure uh-huh. it's going to be like drift on for decades. Yeah. <laughs> or you'll just basically have a movie that's mostly hugs. No, no plot. It's just people hugging each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, people just going to get to the cinema to watch people hug. It's like, oh, this is brilliant. This movie's A. Yeah. Yeah. Coming from Disney Pixar. Still got to be sitting two seats apart from everybody. I was going to say, surely it'd be a thriller. Like, <gasps> they're not wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, turning the horror oh, movie can... on its head where the, the people not wearing masks are the actual villains. <laughs> or maybe I can do that where you go to the film and you get a body pillow. So you can just have a little hug, buddy, oh. while watching your hug film. <laughs> I could see that so easily being abused. <laughs> I was going to say, like, pub- publicly distributed body pillows. Slightly I mean, it's probably probably going to happen in Japan. Probably already is. <laughs> but they all have their own. It's fine. They'll bring the boat. <laughs> bring your own or rent one out. Over safe screaming, bring your waifu. <laughs> <laughs> you would save on popcorn and drink, at least. Definitely. What See, film now would... I'm just imagining how you could market it under the name Waifu Connection. <laughs> <laughs> what what film would be on display though? What, what <laughs> I mean, her possibly would be appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Falling in love with an inanimate object. <laughs> Once again, it's that time in the show when we take a look at some of the comic books coming up in the Geeky Brummy pool list. Coming up this week, we have The Dreaming, Waking Hours number 4 from DC's Black Label. This is by writer G. Willow Wilson and artist Nick Robles, and this is continuing the wonderful reinvention of the Sandman universe. Ruin has travelled to World's End to seek help from the denizens of The Dreaming who set him free in the first place. Unfortunately, Brute and Glob have followed him there on the orders of Dream himself. And back in the Dreaming, Lindy has taken on the challenge of discovering who the true Shakespeare is via a staging of the apocryphal play The Birth of Merlin. But when you tell a tale inside the Dreaming, it has a strange way of becoming very real indeed. Then from Marvel Comics, we have Ultraman The Rise of Ultraman number 3, written by Kyle Higgins' Matt Groom, with artists by Franco Manor. Overrun by Kaiju and pinned behind enemy lines, Kiki could really use the help of the newly emerged Ultraman. But what went wrong with the merging process and how will that impact on our hero? With that to deal with, Shin must also decide whom to trust, the benevolent-seeming or deeply secretive USP, or the bitter whistleblower Dr. Yamamoto and a wrong choice could cost him everything he holds dear. And finally for that week, also from Marvel, we have X-Men number 4, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Mahmoud Azur. This is X of Swords chapter 12, The Lovers, A Garden, A Chasm of Secrets. This is continued from X of Swords Stasis number 1, and will be continued in Marauders number 14. Then in the following week from Dark Horse Comics, we have Bill and Ted Are Doomed number 3, written by Evan Dorkin, with art by Roger Langridge. With the launch of their world music tour in Chaos, Bill and Ted managed to escape a rioting death metal festival only to be marked for death by the insane leader of an evil metal band. With thousands of evil metal fans on a wild hunt for our heroes, can the wild stallion survive long enough to write the one song on tour and save the future? 
This new series is a direct sequel to Bogus Journey and a prequel to Face the Music. Then we have From Marvel, Excalibur number 14, written by Tinny Howard with artist Phil Noto. This is X of Swords chapter 15. Two swords, two cups, two must answer. This is continued from Marauders 15 and will be continued in Wolverine number 7. Hot on the heels from the last issue from IDW, we have Star Trek Year 5 number 16. This is written by Jodie Hauser with art by Sylvia Califano. Election season is full swing across the Federation and even though it seems ridiculous, Harry Mudd is rising to the top of the polls. The crew of the Enterprise suspects that there's more to Mudd's game than just wanting to do his civic duty and their investigation will uncover a rot that threatens the entire Federation from the inside. And finally from Boom Studios we have the rather excellent We Only Find Them When They're Dead number 3. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Simone DeMio. Captain Malik and the crew of the Vihan 2 are trapped in warp space as they are pursued by the mysterious government angel Richter. They have two choices, drop out of warp speed and risk being destroyed by Richter or stay in warp until their engines explode from overheating. Who will survive long enough to discover a living god? Don't forget, you can see previews of all these comics and more on the Geeky Brummy Twitter feed every Wednesday. And that's it for now, and back to the main show. Right, I think it's time to revisit our setting the scene competition as we've stumbled into the subject of cinema. So, uh, Lauren, I don't know if you saw this on our Twitter last episode. I did. We all got given... I voted. I went after you, you voted for. But, um, yeah, so last... Last episode, we all showed our wonderful pictures, which we threw up in our Twitter poll thread, on our recreation of scenes from Alien, as set by Mr. Matt Lovell. So, I went for the chestburster scene using a plushy kitty pillow. Uh, Lee went for the vent scene using a Charmander, Charmander's fiery tail, a Nathan Doak figurine, and an Aliens DVD cover, and a cardboard box. A cardboard box. Very important, the cardboard box. Yes. And Matt, and Matt and Keith went for the same scene with finding the alien egg for the first time. Uh, Keith using his Luke Skywalker figurine with a washing liquid ball thing for the head. And Matt going for a Darth Vader, a tinfoil wrapped Death Star and a mixing bowl in a hoodie. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so, uh, we shall recap. So, with 4.8% of the vote, unfortunately, was Lee in last place, I'm afraid. It was, it was a very rushed effort, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> in third place, with 9.5% of the vote, was Matt with his wonderful tinfoil death star. Clearly, my mum wasn't voting this week. <laughs> <laughs> in second place, was myself with my red painted food bag and kitty chestburster and in top place of course with 61.9% of the vote uh, almost two thirds of the vote there was Mr. Bloomfield <laughs> with his wonderful Luke Skywalker and artfully lit scene with an alien egg well done Keith congratulations I think it was all down to the Mark Hamill effect that was what it was <laughs> Everybody was voting for Luke Skywalker. Yeah. So it would have been a whole different movie if Luke Skywalker had turned up on LV426. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine that? The Millennium Falcon crashes on there. <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like a comic book crossover. I mean, they've, they've done aliens with everything else. Yeah. They have had a, a Star Wars crossover. 
with Indiana Jones, mm. where Indiana Jones discovers a crashed Millennium Falcon with Han Solo's bones in it. I have seen that issue, I think, a long time ago. Right. But this means, Keith, you get to choose the next film for our setting the scene challenge. I know, and it's an extremely difficult task to pick a film that would um, lend itself to this kind of challenge. Um, so purely because I've already got an idea of what I want to do, uh, I'm going to select the Stanley Kubrick classic, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ooh. From 1968. Ooh, interesting. So, yeah. We shall regroup next episode with our setting the scene efforts for this one. Uh, Lauren, yes. you're more than welcome to join in on this one as well. If you feel like there's a 2001 scene that you feel like you can maybe recreate, maybe in cake form. Um, I. Any excuse to make a cake. Right, so I look. could I could imagine quite a few scenes you could do in cake form. <laughs> that, would, that would be quite cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to think now. This is going to be a tough one because having that the scene is full of very artistic and very memorable shots, but recreating those in a house is going to be a bit tricky when the film's about space. I've yeah. got more than enough videos. It's, it's a tricky one. That could be the monolith. <laughs> <laughs> so any PlayStation Two, you're pretty much sorted. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just just stand next to a PlayStation Five if you can get hold of one, and you'd get already sorted. See, that's not. See, the problem is because it's got the white bits on the side. It doesn't work. It looks like a router. So. The Xbox Series X would actually work better from a yeah, certain angle. Yeah. That is a that is a monolith on its own. I look forward to seeing your efforts. There's been a bit of a phenomenon coming over the pandemic, and that is the resurgence in the art of tabletop gaming, especially remote tabletop gaming. Um, I confess not to be an expert of this and haven't played a tabletop RPG for a long while, but we we have a very fast, fantastic, talented team around us who have, so I'll let Lee take the reins for this one, uh, but I'm sure we'll all chip in at some point. Mm -hmm. Well... I would first of all say that the whole like rise in tabletop stuff has been going on even before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. There's been quite a lot of resurgence of uh, tabletop RPGs over the past couple of years or so. Um, I know D&D especially has like gone off in a big way, um, especially with the amount of podcasts and YouTube shows that are people just playing D&D at this point. And they've been around for years and have huge fan bases. I don't know can't remember off the top of my head how long Critical Role's been going. I know that the Adventure Zone's probably around the same sort of time. I think that's what it's called. Um, so, but yeah, like, there's been quite a few things going on, but, like, yeah, moving stuff on. To, Will Wheaton's had a long series of introductions to multiple yes, games on his YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah, he doesn't do that anymore, unfortunately. I think, like, just due to falling out with the company responsible um but otherwise like yeah that's that's been around for a while so um i will admit i'm not an expert i'm more kind of i've got a regular D, &D game and i've played a few board games here and there but like i'm not fully immersed in the full scene but yeah i've definitely noticed how much it's exploded um personally from my perspective a lot of it 
was starting with the podcasts but then when Stranger Things kind of featured it and it got introduced to the Netflix audience but not just that um I started playing when I was about 17 and that was in the days of third edition now I'm an adult people who started playing at that kind of time are now adults and have disposable incomes and there's fifth edition so we can kind of afford to buy our own books now like my first books were like my 18th birthday present and apart from a couple of like supplements I'd get for that Christmas couldn't really afford to buy my own books I'd buy like minis and dice with like my spare cash but yeah it's it's a big industry and people want to escape you know the, especially this year it sucked so why not pretend to be like an elf ranger kind of thing if you know probably not the best class example to use but it's going to get fixed in Tasha's cauldron it's fine it's fine <laughs> it sounds like the favorite one from skyrim which is pretty much based on a tabletop rpg that kind of mm-hmm. same kind of yeah definitely it's, um... yeah um yeah i mean like I got into it more recently because of Critical Role, and that's because it was a bunch of video game voice actors, and I knew who a bunch of them were. So mm-hmm. I think someone recommended it to me in one of my YouTube comments, and I was just kind of like, well, I like Laura Bailey. I like Matt Mercer, so let's go watch this. And I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And then got very curious, like, I should play this. So I just started looking for, like, local groups and stuff and uh, going to it that <laughs> way. Um, and it's... We've been playing it online this year as well, just because yeah. um, there's just so many options as well at the moment of playing of how to play it online. Because you've got like Roll Twenty, you've got Fantasy Grounds, you've got God knows what else. But um, yeah, just I think like you said, it's it's really helped people having those online options as well to escape what's going on at the moment or continue games that they've been having that yeah. they can't hold in person. So. Yeah. Absolutely. All my all my games moved online. Um I've got like two main groups who so have got like five campaigns between these groups running. So I've got like all different characters bouncing around them. But we have Tor Shift online, so we use Discord. And there's like bots you can get for Discord which like, add to your server and they can roll the dice for you. And D D Beyond's got its own Avro bot, which you can like set up to not only you do the attacks, but the monsters do their attacks too. So it kind of keeps it fair and nobody cheats, so to speak. Yeah, I think one of the attractions for me personally, because it's something I have been looking to get into quite a lot, is all right, there might be a bit of an initial cost, as you mentioned, with the books and getting your dice and stuff like that. But even in like this virtual environment, it seems to be a great way for people who aren't very dis- with a lot of disposable income to. Have a great time with friends and it doesn't involve Absolutely. having to go to the pub it doesn't involve having to go out to a restaurant it's a great way to find a way to catch up with people mm-hmm. and especially as you've said that you can move online with this pretty easy and we know how tough it is for people out there on the, at the moment especially with kind of furlough and lots of redundancies and this this seems to be again the reason I mentioned about the pandemic at the start of it I think part of that combination of having a resurgence especially in this time is it's been a good way for people to catch up with friends and not not yeah. be can not be can constrained to the general knowledge quiz that everybody started out having <laughs> once a week with their friends and family at the start of the pandemic and probably gave up with about three months ago 
<laughs> absolutely and there's like one of the although wizards who like the people who kind of put out D&D they've had some problems but they kind of came good in the in the pandemic like they released a load of content for free on D&D Beyond like you can get like the very basic rules to make your characters anyway for free you can download it as a PDF on their website but they also released a bunch of like campaigns for free so people could just download that download those and play them so and there's also more options now um like there's various kind of instead of buying one of the big expensive books you can buy like the starter kits i've done a few options of those and the essential kits has now even got options where you can just play with one person running the game which is the dm and one person playing and there's like little kind of npc sidekick characters who can help you on your quest so you can just go off one-on-one and do it you don't have to like form a team because that's i think even with the money that can be the stumbling block for some people is finding the people to play with like they hear about D or from like podcasts or tv shows and like i really want to play but i've got no idea how to find it like i was really lucky i just found my friend putting a poster up in the drama department and it's just like you're not going to get anybody in here to play D D. no so well you can come then of course i'll come so I'm still playing later with that same group that I played with when I was seventeen year old and now we're all in our thirties and got nothing better to do but play D D online. <laughs> yeah, I mean I found my group just through like looking online at what groups are out there. Um they're running it, but I think like where I found mine is like the only club in Birmingham that sort of runs it unless like you're explicitly going to like one of the board game cafes and asking mm-hmm. there. Um, I think this is like the one you'll find first if you start searching around. Um, yeah. But um, I think there are probably a lot more online resources to find groups now. Um, Definitely. I mean, you mentioned Discord. There's probably plenty of Discord groups out there that, you know, you can start finding groups there and things like that. In fact, the problem I've noticed from discussion online is the problem isn't so much finding a group, it's finding a DM. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to be in the DM. <laughs> Especially when people tend to get stuck in that role as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm lucky in like my main groups, we've got two people who kind of DM in each group. So they kind of, which is why we've got five campaigns, kind of flick around depending who's available and what we're running and who can DM that week. But it's a lot of prep work, it's a lot of planning, it's a lot of like herding cats to get people together and to behave and to not scream at each other and that kind of thing. Yeah, I've um, I've attempted DMing before and um, I, th- I found my problem was over-preparing it and it just ended yeah. up not being very good as a result. But, yeah. Um, it's definitely something I've taken on board. <clears throat> I'd like to try it again at some point, but just haven't got around to it yet. I've done a little bit. I ca- I've DM'd a little bit for mostly the people I work with at Worlds Park, and I was running the Essentials Kit like adventure for them, and it- it's wonderful just to see and scare people. Like it's an empty room. It's, it's a completely empty room. No, no, it is really an empty room. Can you please just walk down this corridor away from this perfectly empty room? And yeah, it's fun. It's a little bit scary to kind of put yourself on that platform and be responsible for everybody and their enjoyment. So, but it's 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 worthwhile when you do it. 
Yeah, I think we should mention as well, there's a lot of other games out there coming up, which aren't yeah. just D&D as well. So yeah. We've talked about Hero yeah. Quest coming up, but there's, there's quite a lot of different flavours of the game. If fantasy is not your mm-hmm. favourite kind of game, I mean, Cyberpunk that is coming out very, well, maybe coming out very soon. We don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Only CD projects. when, maybe. Yeah, it, it might be coming Again. out at some point this decade. But that started <laughs> off as a tabletop RPG to begin with, and that's kind of where it's developed from. Um, that's had a re-release as well recently. Um, you can get like a similar like essential kit boxes just to play that. And um, there's something that's like Call of Cthulhu, which is like obviously what it sounds like a Lovecraftian horror um, kind of game. Um, I used to play Shadowrun when I was younger. Call of Cthulhu is excellent. <laughs> it's like you, your character just goes increasingly mad. Mm-hmm. And once you reach a certain point, there's no coming back. Although a lot of it, a lot of it was us just trying to figure out what what did they do in the 1920s? What did they eat? <laughs> what did they do for fun? How do we how do we play these characters? So it's like, <laughs> oh, I bribed this guy with an, a period appropriate amount of money because we didn't know how much would be a reasonable bribe. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is interesting to see how much the video games and the tabletop RPGs kind of like merging into one another now. I mean, <laughs> you have the opposite way around. I think Fallout has some tabletop versions that you can play. I've seen quite a few games where you have, so like Space Hulk was rebooted recently, which started off again as a tabletop RPG game from um, Games Workshop, and that's been made into multiple games, Battleship Gothica and stuff like that. It's interesting to see how much they overlap in the Venn diagram of yeah. playing. <laughs> There's, there's a Witcher, there's a Witcher one as well, so you can be like the Witcher or the Bard or the, you know, mm-hmm. you can just be one of the archetypes from the games and the books, and pretty dark, but it's pretty fun. I enjoy <laughs> um, that one. There's a Dishonored one as well, I think, which is mm-hmm. kind of surprising, but I think kind of works at the same time. Um yeah, like there's there's also just a lot of games coming out at the moment that are based on tabletop systems, not just Cyberpunk. Because I mean, D and D's got just released uh, an official game with Baldur's Three, but you've also got yeah. um, the new Dark Alliance games coming out at some point. I don't know when. Um, there's also like I think they also will license out the rule set to developers who ask. Because there's recently an indie game called um, Solasta. I believe it is, which is yeah. based on Walls of D&D. Um, and World of Darkness, which is like kind of like your horror-themed RPG, mm-hmm. is owned by Paradox, who are a video game publisher, and they are milking that license. Yeah. Because they, they do Vampire the Masquerade, and there's I used to play that back in the day. And there was also like a janky old PC game for that. Unless I've yeah, made that up. Um, yeah, I was like, yeah, 40, yeah. like 13 when I played it, so it's been a, yeah. it's been a while. Yeah, I yeah, think that game Bloodlines, is... And Bloodlines 2 is supposedly coming out next year, but it keep, that's another one that keeps getting delayed. Yeah. Um, but they've also been doing like visual novels and kind of smaller scale RPGs, and there's a horror game coming out based on like the Wraith system as well. And just all sorts of things like that. And it's just, it's kind of ridiculous how much Paradox is just giving that license to everyone to make a bunch of games. Keith, Matt, uh, what's your experience with tabletop RPGs? I'm starting a game of Cyberpunk 2033, um, 
with a couple of my friends from home and we're meeting for the first time tomorrow to create characters. But I've never I, I've never done uh tabletop RPG before. I've always wanted to, but um it's always been trying to find a group and then also again trying to find a DM who can balance between doing a good story but also controlling everyone in the group to behave and actually play nice. Um but again it's um it's just a really interesting concept and from a sort of creative point of view it's really good practice for um sort of story writing narrative building whether you're a dm or whether you're just creating your own character because there's so many facets um when you first create a character you're creating an entire backstory for them and then you have to emulate that so there are things that you may do personally but the character you've created has a different mindset. So you have to kind of envision actually how would they react. So it's quite a, a good way of developing sort of core skills, really, um, which people don't necessarily like understand. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my, uh, my experience. And um, like we've said, there's loads of tools now that's really, really easy to get into. You can literally just Google how to get into tabletop RPGs and there'll be links for free sites like Roll20, that kind of thing to get you started. There's loads of links to sort of groups where you can sort of ask and find uh, find places to go. So there's a lot of resources. It's, all, it's a world I've been curious about for a long time. I can remember reading... Um magazines like white dwarf um when games workshop first started out so i've been aware of the, the world of dnd i mean obviously i i watched the um, dungeon dragons cartoon series on tv i read uh D comics Dragonlance comics that they had um but i think the biggest problem especially at that point in britain it was finding other players and like everybody said the the dm role is is the is the critical role that that um is tricky to find. So I've found most of my exposure to any of these things has been through kind of solo play stuff. So, you know, the fighting fantasy books or the Diceman um, comics where you kind of play similar scenarios, but it's self-contained and you were doing that kind of character creation roles for health and stamina and all of that. Um, and I've always wanted to play in a, in a game that's run by somebody else, but it's been a kind of tricky thing to actually find find a group and i think that's where things like video games have filled that gap because you can get that kind of experience uh with yourself and and you know maybe play with other characters online and the, and the ai takes care of the, the world building and the scenarios and stuff um but it's, it's always something that's, that's that's fascinated me in terms of that storytelling element that kind of like um creative uh aspect of it that your choices and your um characters can influence everything else that's going on around you so that that's kind of quite a fascinating thing and i've played some uh warhammer 40k stuff but that's slightly more combative rather than storytelling so it's kind of skirmishes and scenarios so it doesn't quite go down that route of you follow your character's path through a story and you take him from adventure or uh to adventure so that would be the thing where i kind of think that would be kind of cool and, and the idea of like you know if it all goes horribly wrong you could um, lose a character that you've spent a lot of time um, building up and developing over time and, and have to start again. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, but I think, and this is kind of a question going back to Lee uh, and uh, Lauren really, is that as a non-player or not really somebody, who's, it's that sense of like how 
much commitment does it take to play a game? Because you see kind of like, oh, this will take two, three hours to play. And you kind of think, oh, that's, that sounds like a, a long time to, to put into something. I find it difficult to find time to play 20 minutes on a video yeah. game. So it's kind of like, and also if you're having to do stuff before you even, even get to a, a gameplay scenario, like if you're a DM, you've got to do a lot of pre- preparation beforehand. So how much kind of, how much does that impact on, on, on being a player, all of the kind of like preparation and time that it takes to actually play a game? Mm. I really like like the character creation aspect. Um, I write a lot in my spare time. Um, I've got a background of like, I did acting at uni, so I'm kind of like a nerd in that respect. So like building a character and their flaws, where they come from. And because part of in characters is like tropes, like certain classes get a certain rep, like, oh, bards just want to seduce everything. So it's human fights are boring that kind of thing so i like kind of twisting those a little bit you know it's not i don't find myself particularly creative for it but it's just like one of my characters um verity she grew up on the street but she's not a bad or better person for it she just kind of wants to make everybody happy she just happens to have a pact with this elder god who gives her her powers and she's a warlock so it's just like she kind of has to balance that huge darkness with like making everybody cheerful around her so but yeah the the biggest problem is sometimes scheduling and that's why in the pandemic I was playing like two or three times a week sometimes because everybody was shut in their house so it became really really easy but as soon as everybody started going back to work that's when it got really hard and one of my groups is on a kind of semi break right now because the DM's just a bit tired with like putting up with our rubbish and you know he kind of wants to rest his creativity for a little bit and we'll pick up again that's always the thing um one of my groups again was on a hiatus for like eight months but we picked up again you know we just you make notes so you kind of know where you're at so you can't play for a while it's okay because you can just like kind of figure it out and backtrack if maybe is it like putting on a pair of comfortable shoes like putting yourself yeah, back in definitely for a long time. definitely because you have character sheets, so you always know what your strength is, what your charisma is, what your health points are. All this. Once I went back to the game, it's like, why am I on three health? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> am I dying? Oh, no. <laughs> Everything was fine. But it's just like, I, just, I can't remember what happened. Where were we in your fight? <laughs> and sometimes you have to have that little kind of group discussion to get back. But I think that's the real benefit for me personally playing with friends is like, it's part of us just being together and spending time together because we can't go and have a meal together or go to the pub right now. We can like play D and D at least. Mm. <laughs> it's better than nothing. I'm thinking perhaps that's the role for me in D and D games is just coming in at the beginning and going previously in this game and then yeah. everybody recap of what happened. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, and now you're caught up. In the last episode, <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfectly. It's perfectly normal. It's like, it's just kind of part of what happens. It's sometimes if you go through an age, it's just like, you know, I can't remember what I had for tea yesterday. How can I remember what I did last session? But I just have this mental image now of like D&D being like Dragon Ball, where it's 25 minutes <laughs> of in the last episode and then five minutes of actual content and then the session ends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like in terms of like the time. Uh, commitment with, with character creation and things like that. I think you can kind of put in as much t- 
time as you want with it i've found yeah. like i mean you've like in my sort of normal group we've got one guy who will just go into huge depth on his backstory you know he's he's got his character idea he knows who they are and you know four or five pages just like this yeah. is all the all the events that led up to things and then we've got another player she rocks up and is just like yeah i think i'm gonna play this now <laughs> it's like but it both works yeah you know, it's, yeah totally it's a big chunk of it is just improv anyway mm-hmm. so like the amount of times where I've like come up with a backstory yeah. for my character and then the characters ended up going off in a different direction that I didn't yeah. intend and you know I'm, I'm definitely the multiple backstory you know named family everything kind of listed out kind of player but part of the fun is whether it just goes off somewhere else and just like just don't be married to an idea because it might change and just part of it is just relaxing and going with the flow of the story and just making it up as you go along. One of my characters was um, a warlock with um, an archfey patron. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea was he's going to be a trickster. He's going to sort of, you know, go around and play pranks on people. He ended up as the group flirt. <laughs> just because he had the highest charisma. And at some point yeah. in the story, we had to interview some someone at a brothel. So it was just like, well, you've got the highest <laughs> charisma. And then it became a thing. And now it's become like he's because I rolled so well in that session at the brothel, um, yeah. he's now just, he's now being paid by the brothels to go there. Then <laughs> that's not what was written into his backstory or his mm-hmm. character, but that's who he's become. And I'm just like, I'm rolling with this. This is fun. <laughs> Something else happened in one of my other games where I play a human fighter. She's like a noble, like she's a runaway princess. Cause she wanted to go and use a sword because why not? And her and the bard in the party have kind of got this weird kind of alliance where at one point the DM just sighed and said, I forgot that the party negotiators are also the party torturers, which kind of sums up their role in the party. But it's not kind of, I kind of more kind of figured it to be this kind of neutral kind of beacon for, you know, right as might kind of stuff. But no, she's just like, oh, something bad needs to be done, I'll do it got a sword so i can imagine that's probably the tougher bits for a dm is keeping track of all this kind of because as you mentioned it must be like 50 percent scripted and 50 percent improv mm-hmm. and yeah for a dm to cope with having the improv which might affect the storyline further down the road must kind of like having contingency plans for stuff like that must be mm-hmm. struggles sometimes one of the, one bit of DM advice I've seen in the past is basically like when you prep a session, make sure it's no bigger than a, a page of A4. So yeah. you've got like you've got some names that you can throw at the party if they need to, and like these this send them in this sort of general direction, mm-hmm. and then everything else is chaos, and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Like even in even in module games, because a lot of DMs will they. There's like pre-written modules you can play like Curse of Strahd or Rise of Tiamat or um, Tales of the Awning Portal where it's just like all written out stuff where you can kind of lead your party through. But then a lot of people homebrew as well, which is where they kind of create their own storyline or even their own world and plunge the characters into that. So it's it's one of those things where just like just because you're playing a module doesn't mean your character's going to be any more on course. Mm-hmm. than if you've homebrewed and one of my dms is playing 
um, a game called Princess the Apocalypse, and she's just having to kind of just put up with us <laughs> going off course constantly <laughs> and trying to get us back on track, just throwing into chaos the entire time. I think that's, I can imagine that one being worse though, because like if you've got, if it's your own world and your own homebrew stuff and mm. it all kind of goes off on this tangent, you can just kind of make it up. But if you're trying to yeah. get everyone back onto where the module's trying to lead you, <laughs> it's a much harder task. So. She, she does a very good job, so I'll give her that. So, um, yeah, we're, <laughs> she'll probably buy a big bottle of wine for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lauren, you mentioned the Essentials kit earlier. Do you think that would be a good mm-hmm. starting point for people if they were interested in getting into? Definitely. Um, it's not a biggest commitment as buying because... There's like the handbook. The, it can get overwhelming when you just look at all the different books and be like, "Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master Guide." <laughs> yeah, same. It's just like mine are over there, and it's just like, mm. but yeah, there's, there's so many. But all of the indie books and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few kits. There's um, the starter set and the essentials kit. Both have different adventures in. Um, essentials kit is a bit more padded out in the sense that it has those NPC sidekicks. So you can play solo with just a DM. Um, you get some dice in there. You get like basic rules of how to build a, your character. So it gives you the rules for like what's what's called the core rules, which is from the player's handbook. There's different content released, like Xanathar's Guide to Everything and Monkind's Team of Foes, Swallow's Guide to Monsters, where it gives you more and more and more options. And just about to come out next month, next month's november right um is tasha's cauldron of everything which is going to be an update where wizards are going to try and um balance things so to speak which is causing a little bit of controversy in the fandom because reasons (laughs) won't get too far into that it's reasons but with the essentials kit, you've just got what you need to make bog standard characters. But then there's also a Stranger Things themed kit where um, you can play the adventure that Will is running for everybody at the start of Stranger Things, which is really cute. Um, there's a Rick and Morty kit, which it's a Rick and Morty D&D adventure, which there's been legit Rick and Morty comics crossover in D&D, which are pretty good because they're actually written by people who know and write D&D anyway. So if you like Rick and Morty and like D and D comics, you know it's it's it sounds a bit it's it's not it's pre, it was pretty fun. So yeah, the most of the like these box kits like twenty six pounds ish, kind of that kind of mark, which compared to the big books are like forty quid, forty 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 five. So it is a bit more affordable if you just want to try it. Because that's that's within the range of kind of like a buying a video game and yeah basically many many years of gameplay coming out of that mm-hmm. you, you were talking about some of the podcast things like critical role and stuff is there yeah. any kind of places where you would say these these are good places for non non-players or people who have kind of like thought about it but not um not played yet that where they are you can watch a game played so you can yeah. get a sense of, of what's yeah. what's going on definitely i mean critical role is probably like the standard and a lot of people kind of want to aspire to be like Matt Mercer as a DM or Laura Raley as a player. And so, but they are really good at what they do and they really kind of care about what they do. 
and you can tell in terms of the characters like there's critical role comics and you know the fandom is like extensive and some people have never played indie in their life but they still really like to listen and watch and follow these characters and that's cool and like the adventure zone is another one and there's there's dozens there's like a lot of queer friendly ones there's a lot of um women only ones and a lot of what, like old school guy ones so it's just like dnd is kind of like it sounds really cheesy to say so but dnd can be accessible to everybody so it's just like if you you know, if you want to play a non-binary elf bard, it's like you play that non-binary elf bard. It's like you do it. It's like there's no real rule to say no. And if anybody ever says that in a group, just leave that group. It's like um, just do what you want. <laughs> I, I would also say that, like, in terms of is it good for a non-player to listen to this stuff? That is what got me into it. It was mm-hmm. watching Critical Role. Um, but, you know, saying that, like, you know, if you watch Critical Role and that's, like, the best of the best, if you want to kind of get a sense of what, like, a real session is like, um, the YouTube channel outside Xbox, they have a D&D game and it is just chaos. And I think that is closer to what an actual D&D game is like. Because when they started that, it was the first time they'd all played D&D. The only person in the group who played it was the DM. So they all just kind of were, like, no one really sort of knew how it all worked and it just ended up being chaos mm-hmm. and they've kind of ma- maintained that chaos as it's carried on just because that's just how the characters have ended up going because they were just kind of throwing stuff in there because they didn't really know what they were doing and just, like i think the party at this point are basically evil despite what their written alignments <laughs> are <laughs> so it's things been- like that been interesting to see other companies dipping their toes in the water as well and like getting into this kind of online um ttrpg kind of thing because i know escape hunt who do like a series of locker room adventures uh they've done they've released quite a few games which you can play at home online and kind of like do in a, a locker room escape kind of role play with your friends as a group so it's kind of like a locker room mystery basically that you can do at home but I think there's like a Doctor Who themed one. They have like multiple themed ones where you can be like involved in like a Doctor Who adventure, and like trying to get out of the target or something like that. And uh, probably worth mentioning as well, another Kickstarter I backed some time ago uh, was Rebellion, uh, who published 2000 AD. They've been uh, trying to expand their non video game section quite a bit, so I think picked up the RPG Tartarus Gate. So keep your eye out for that one on the Geeky Group. It's been interesting to see having this mix of games. I mean, are you guys tempted to stray away from the traditional D and D setup and experiment with some of the games um, occasionally? I mean, yes, because I have in the past. I've played Call of Cthulhu, Shadowrun, Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf, uh, a couple of Marvel ones, and. If I- can't remember anything else but it's been a while Mm -hmm. but it's just finding somebody with the rules and then playing it and convincing your group hey let's play this other thing but I think one of the fun things about well any tabletop really but especially like Dean well Call of Cthulhu is one but D&D is another way you can don't have to play it in like high fantasy ancient past you can kind of a lot of people are kind of like modernizing it now and playing it a bit more like street urban stuff and call of, 
Call of Cthulhu, like you don't have to play it Edwardian. Like I've played adventures that were set in the 1960s and that kind of thing. So it's a bit more modern. So a lot of people put tweaks and stuff so it doesn't become the same old, same old. But yeah, um, definitely be up for playing something different at some point if I can get a group to agree to it. Right. I might have to run it myself, but... <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Marvel games and like those mm-hmm. licensed ones have restrictions or does it feel really different to the kind of one of those ways um, DMing with no real set structure behind it? The Super game I played was like way back in like 2003 so I'm kind of a bit foggy whether it was like actually licensed but it's like I remember there's a table you rolled on your superpowers somehow my character had eight superpowers which included like claws and weather control and facing and it's just like oh now I'm all the X-Men rolled into one and it our DM set it in the Marvel universe but whether it was like an actual official Marvel game I can't really remember at the time but there, there, there have been official games and you're more like a B-list kind of superhero like existing in this worldwide like you know Captain America and everybody's like a silhouette up on the roof you're one of the extra so you're kind the of like yeah you're bubbling around in that your own little world but I guess if a DM wants to get creative and make it a bit more involved they could kind of put it in but that would just be like so much on top i think in terms of licensing and stuff i think like the quality of them probably depends on who they've gotten to actually make the game Mm -hmm. because like you know sort of mentioning about like stranger things and rick and morty tie-ins the reason why they work is because they are still made by wizards of the coast you know Mm -hmm. license thing but um it's also also why like I think if um, like the World of Darkness people like branched out and did other things, they've got Paradox and everything working there. So like I think they can. There's all sorts of different things with that. So I think with if there is, I think there's a few superhero systems. So I think it'd be dependent yeah. on like who's got the better stuff, really. Who who's got the better people behind it, really? It's trial and error, definitely. Hmm. It's like find it's finding what works for you as a player in a group. Do you think the the reason it's it's lasted so long is the the kind of core simplicity of the system, but with the infinite ability to make it whatever you want? Because obviously, since the, if the core D and D system has come out, other things have come along, but D and D seems to be the one that just has weathered so well for so many years. I mean, we must be coming up to forty odd years now that the system's been around. I, I think so and it's a generational thing like people who like grew up with it very first and have had kids introduce them and so on and so on and also although like fifth edition is like the thing at the moment you don't have to play it so if people want to play 3.5 they can still play 3.5 and I know there's loads of groups who still play by those older rules it's like there's nothing to say oh no you can't play this anymore you've got to play this version so it is like you can do what you want within it. And yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's really weird. It's just a really nice way to spend time with your friends. It's just like pretending to be somebody else completely and do outrageous things and let us some steam that way. It's, it's not quite the same as playing like a video game where you're just like bashing the buttons. You're actually kind of shrieking obscenities at an invisible goblin. It's like killing them with it because. <laughs> Vicious Mockery is one of the best cantrips ever, so, yeah. oh, yeah. you know, 
<laughs> in, in the game that I DM, someone someone died by like a guard died because the bard used vicious mockery to like insult his sexual prowess. Mm-hmm. That's what killed him. And yeah. Just because I enjoyed that death so so much, <laughs> I, I gave everyone advantage on the next turn. Just Excellent. <laughs> just because I was just like because I basically said all the other guards are just shocked by how that just killed me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you all get advantage. That was just funny. <laughs> yeah, I one of my characters killed a goblin by saying she was gonna make him so sorry for not helping us that you know his mother would regret it. And I rolled like max damage on it, and this thing just cried itself to death. So <laughs> it's, it's horrendous, like the things you can do in D and D, and it's like it's a goblin, it's okay. And it's just like how. But at one point in one of my games, we got so tired of killing things that we found this one drunk goblin that we just kind of tucked it up in a bed in a room and locked it in of a water skin for its own safety. So. It's just like you do get good moments where you become redeemable, but otherwise, it's like it's known as murder hoboing. We just kind of like just destroy your way through games. So <laughs> sometimes you need a good murder hobo. Mm-hmm. So if you guys had one piece of advice for somebody who was looking to start playing like Matt or or Keith or myself, what what would be your main piece of advice going in blind? My bit of advice would be, like Keith was asking about, like the D and D podcasts and stuff. I sort of just recommend having a look at something like that to just because it's a really good way. I feel to get a good sense of how a game would go, and from mm-hmm. that, I think you could probably just pick up on, like, oh yeah, that seems like one thing to do. In that situation, I could have done that, and you'd start in a way thinking like a player just from watching it. Yeah, uh, mine would be. Don't worry about knowing everything or trying to be a perfect player because I still don't know every single rule. Like, I still sometimes forget, like, little rules because every class has got a little kind of their own little rules and little moves they can do. And, like, most of, like, the different, like, elves and dwarves and gnomes and halflings have their own kind of features. Like, halflings can re-roll if they roll on a 1 and a 20 and a 20 sided dice kind of thing, or elves have got like, you know, like droughts and like sensitivity and that kind of thing. So you won't ever know everything. And don't worry about not knowing everything because nobody does. And if they, they're saying that, they're just kind of being a bit boastful. Yeah. So I mean, that's one of my worries that I've always had with like joining like a DD <laughs> game is my character would just be Mr. Bean stumbling <laughs> in the background and just honestly, that's great. Up. Yeah. Sometimes that's great though, and sometimes because a lot of it is based on chance. Like you've got, you'll generate your stats before you start ever playing a game. And every good get campaign, you usually start with session zero. We all get together, you talk about what the campaign's going to be like, what your character is, and you kind of make your stats between you so you kind of know what you're doing, sort of. And then you start playing, and you know. The strongest character can still roll a natural one on an athletics check and still fail what they're trying to do. You know, the character with the minus one on their strength mod can still roll a natural 20 and kind of pull it off. So it's like, it's chance. And you just got to, like, without being cheesy, roll with it. Because your character will muck up, but 
you shouldn't get mad at oh no my character can't do this it's just like just see it as a character building thing and you know yeah, just because your character can't somebody else yeah. can and that's just off the back of that i would say like you know a lot of the the bad roles a lot of the failure roles can result in some of the best moments in the game yeah definitely as you're sort of role playing the failure and how your character would react to that and it can be one of the funniest moments of the night depending mm -hmm. on it like there was one game where um i think our fighter jumped out of a second story window and landed in some mud and failed his failed his um sort of dex check or whatever and then the two characters who tried to pull him out were the weakest characters in the party so we were just constantly failing trying to pull him out of the mud and it was just this whole farce yeah and it's one of the funniest moments the fact that i can just recall yeah. it right now and you know i can't recall some of the other stuff that happened in that session but that was like the highlight of it so mm -hmm. always have fun with those those poor roles and don't worry about like playing it perfectly or whatever because you never will yeah, poor roll is just when you get to buy new dice because clearly your dice are cursed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why I have like 90 sets now, so mm. far too many dice. So, if we have tempted you, um, lots of resources online, as we mentioned, or probably for a few of those in the show links. Um, but um, those lovely people at Worlds Apart do have an extensive tabletop RPG range if you do want to go and visit, or you can order stuff from their website. <laughs> nobody can confirm or deny that is the fact i've not been in to order anything i don't know what the section's like right now i think i think with, with whichever version of food and planet they are yeah they yeah. you would have to ring the store or get into the store yeah. to see what they've got and order order directly from them i don't think they yeah like our social we do it mainly through our social media like our yeah. instagram or our facebook people can shoot a semester on there so it's a bit dodge because none of our customers seem to use twitter to contact us anymore but you know we do reply to messages um but yeah we gen we, gen we generally have all the core stuff and i will check tomorrow <laughs> i'll check with joel to make sure but yeah, I've not been just into putting an order. Like nail and demand the finest D and D products. <laughs> it's sent I to your door immediately. I demand the finest dice of your kingdom. <laughs> we have we have got lots of dice. Um, yeah, that's all my fault. I would like a huge... I'm never going to play a D and D game. I just want the dice. All <laughs> the dice. Yeah, I've got I've I've literally I've got so many dice. It's ridiculous. It's so pretty colours though. <laughs> <laughs> I love it how everything you can go to. Yeah, I like it how D and D is just basically an excuse for dice collecting for some people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Laura Bailey. It's like Laura Bailey is an icon to all of us who love dice. It's like that's kind of level to ascend to. She's got this where she just... pulls the bag out and it just Yeah. Out <laughs> <laughs> that kind of like your experience level is like the amount of dice you own. <laughs> Oh yeah, I ha see some people. There are people who are just like own one set. There's people who own a couple, and there's people like me who are complete palettes, different characters. And so it's just like I, I can't use my dice for this character with this character. It's just like there's no crossover. So it's just like I've got different deep bags than my DM dice. So you know, it's just an excuse to get more. Yeah, we. <laughs> We have no involvement and we take no responsibility for your dice purchasing <laughs> habits if you do listen and then get involved in tabletop RPGing after this segment. 
I don't even take responsibility for my own dust fiction. I'm not going to yeah. responsible for <laughs> It's like the reverse of a gambling ad. It's like the fun never stops. Just buy more dice. Yeah. Just like, had a bad day. Buy some dice. Have a good day. Buy more dice. Yeah. Character died. <laughs> buy dice for the new character. Yeah. If in doubt, buy dice. <laughs> We should get some t-shirts printed with that <laughs> Dicey brummies instead of geeky brummies. Now we come to the portion of the show where I talk about the games of the week for the past couple of weeks. Game of the week last week was Pumpkin Jack, a perfect game for Halloween, as this looks like the developer got sick of Sony not making a medieval sequel and decided to make one themselves. And yes, that's a single developer, as this entire game was made by one guy, and yet it is full of the same energy as Sony Cambridge's cult classic spook-em-up adventure. It's got the Tim Burton-inspired visuals and Danny Elfman-style soundtrack you'd expect, plus lots of weird and wacky landscapes to navigate through, with a whole arsenal of cartoony weapons. I mean, with Halloween upon us, how could I not give this game of the week? Meanwhile, while Cyberpunk 2077 has been delayed once again, fear not, because this week's game of the week is here to fulfil your cyberpunk needs for the time being. Ghost Runner is a fast-paced first-person parkour game where you play as a cyber ninja battling against the evils of humanity in a post-apocalyptic world. Basically, if you thought Mirror's Edge wasn't dystopian enough and felt the addition of a katana would have improved things, Ghost Runner is exactly the game you were asking for. It's been getting some great reviews, although it is reportedly hard as hell. But I'm all for some futuristic ninja parkour with some challenge, especially when it looks as stylish as this. To summarise, Pumpkin Jack is published by Head Up Games and developed by Nicholas Masonaya, and it is available for basically everything. Meanwhile, Ghost Runner is published by 505 Games and All In Games and developed by One More Level and 3D Realms and is available for PC... PS4 and Xbox. And now, back to the main show. There's a big event happening this weekend, and no, it's not Halloween. It's for Star Wars lovers, uh, a series that has grown fond in the hearts of many, mainly due to a very small green item in a bit of sackcloth, uh, which is known as the child, not Baby Yoda, just before we start, is The Mandalorian is returning for season two. And Dave Filoni is bringing back a few of his favourite Clone Wars characters by the look of it, with um, Ashoka turning up here. And Keith, are you looking forward to this season? Um, I am looking forward to it. It does seem that they are doubling down on the whole um, kind of Star Wars lore that they kind of started to touch on at the very end of um, the last season. Mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't get too bogged down in kind of relating back to things that we've already had. Uh, I'd much prefer them to kind of branch out and explore parts of the Star Wars universe um, that we haven't seen before, because that's kind of where I'd want us to go. Um, And I have in my head a scenario, because there is talk of um, a certain other Mandalorian returning. That's um, been confirmed. Series. But I only hope that what what happens is he he appears in the um, the opening of the episode before we even get to the titles, 
challenges Mando. Mando shoots him. He's gone. That's that's the last we see of that character. It's end of story. He came. He comes back, gets shot by the Mandalorian, and that's that's it. We don't see him again. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that is what happens. It's just a, such a throwaway thing that they just go, oh, oh, look, it's Boba Fett. Boom. Um, he's gone. <laughs> he's dead again, um, which would be great. But I mean, there's a lot of good. Uh, I think the cast that they've assembled for this again is great. I'm kind of interested to see what they do with um, Timothy Oliphant, who's somebody I've enjoyed in in previous series that that he's been in. Um, but yeah. Nice that there's going to be some Clone Wars um, touches with Ahsoka, but the Jedi have had their time and I would kind of like it if that just plays a small part in the overall story and the relationship between the child and the Mandalorian is the core of what we do and they just explore their part of the Star Wars universe by themselves. Yeah, I mean, from the trailer that we've seen, it seems to be that is still the central plot, but we are looking... We, we do get a bit of um, uh, Giancarlo Esposito as well, who's one of my favourite TV villains of recent times. He seems to be playing the same character, but it's an amazing character, so it's absolutely fine that he's in everything as the same bad guy because he, he just does it amazingly. Matt, are you looking forward to Mandalorian? Um, I, I am. I think um, in the first series, one of the, the very few things that I was kind of got a bit bored off by the end was a lot of it was like backwater settings and even though that's good for a while I also quite like the other side like the Coruscant kind of um tier of Star Wars um from the trailer there is a a bit of that there's a bit more sort of like cantina style settings and that kind of thing so I'm hoping they're leaning a bit more towards that um yeah overall I, I am I, I will watch it. I am looking forward to it. I'm not kind of like counting down the days or anything, but I think in terms of where it's, where it's going for Star Wars, it's it's good, and I want more of that, more exploring, like Keith said, more exploring outside of the, the usual um, Jedi, Sith. Oh, look, it's Han Solo again, everyone. Yeah, you know that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that for me personally. Out of the whole Disney Star Wars, this and Rogue One have been my two favourite things that have come out of Disney Star Wars. And I really hope they continue with the success and the strength of that. <laughs> Lauren, are you a Mandalorian fan? I am. I love the Baby Yoda show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I do agree with you. There's, I like that it's more like a different kind of layer. Like it's exploring more of the universe is you know it's reflecting a more expanded universe without relying on these big name characters and and since it would be nice to see him go to a few different more locations a bit variants as was just said um but yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see where it goes and yeah i i, I kind of go keith but i hope that like, this kind of Jedi stuff is just going to be kind of like sinking and out and it's not really going to be like the core and this is going to be becoming a Jedi show it's just going to go back to like the Jedi being like a background oh that's you know hocus pocus but I agree that Rogue One is like my favorite like film since Disney took over from Star Wars I really like the characters I really liked you know what what it's like to be somebody who's not necessarily important in rebellion or even in the empire and just like to be a cog in the part of that big world 
so be interesting to see the Mandalorian carry on in a bigger kind of small bigger small the way if that makes sense yeah and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the joys about this show it's it's the whole thing it feels very lived in it doesn't feel <laughs> shiny and new and everything polished to an infinite extent like the first order did in the in the main branch of movies it feels it feels that the universe it it's it's an old place it's not shiny and new it's yeah i know we revisited a lot of old locations as you said and looking forward to mid-rim and inner-rim planets. I mean, I'd love them to go somewhere like Narshadar or somewhere like that. Like, yeah. crossed over from where, like, the Old Republic, where you have, like, this big planet in the middle of the Hutt Empire. That would have been... That would be really cool to see something like that. And I think they've done a really good job with the trailer of showing it enough to let you know what's coming up. And it's kind of... The, as you mentioned, Boba Fett's supposed to be showing up. Ashoka's supposed to be showing up. None of that was in the trailer. We just got reintroduced to the characters that we saw in Season 1. And just lots of scenes of ships flying and bits like that. And I I have a lot of trust in Dave Filoni from his previous work. I mean, I love Rebels. I love Clone Wars. Uh, he wrote, I think, the first few episodes of Avatar as well. So he's, he's done lots of work in animated shows. And that's really coming across here that he thinks a lot about running the show. And John Favreau being the co-creator in this, I think, works really good as a creative partnership for those two guys. It's like having that knowledge in detail with Dave Filoni. Keith? I think it was one of the things that came across uh, after the last season of Mandalorian. They did the gallery show, which took you behind the scenes uh, and showed you some of the incredible um, stuff they were doing behind the scenes. So the, the volume, which is where they create their virtual environments, was one of the most amazing special effects tools I've ever seen in my life and would absolutely kill to be able to use one of those things. But I think the thing, like you said, what came across on that, was Dave Filoni's utter understanding of what made Star Wars. Um, whenever he spoke, he he kind of understood the importance of things. And I think he's a fan like ourselves who goes, that's that stuff has its importance, but there's other stuff that's important to us in the Star Wars universe. And I think having him at the helm means we're more likely for it not to be a saga in the sense of what we've had with the the films in the past and i think he's he's done what he wanted to do with clone wars and i i, I trust in him to just go we're just going to visit that which will propel my our new characters somewhere else mm-hmm. and they'll go off and do their thing but our characters will do their thing and it will just be a kind of a fleeting merging of two stories but they'll but yeah. then go off because we know what happens with some of the characters from other stories so i kind of hope that um Dave's utter understanding of what what Star Wars should be and is um, will, will shine through in this second season. Yeah, it seems to be he's the law master and he's like the walking DM encyclopedia of Star Wars <laughs> to refer back to the content. It's like he knows everything about Star Wars and John Favreau's great at telling a story and like having those action sequences and beats and stuff like that. And I think it's a really good creative com- partnership they've got in, so you can feel like you feel like. John Favreau does the more emotive stuff, whereas Dave Filoni thinks about the scening and the setting and making sure that it feels right. And Lee, you're not a massive Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. Have you tried The Mandalorian? Are you tempted by The Mandalorian? Are you tempted by not having space wizards? <laughs> um, no, I think, like, in terms of... like, I, I mean, it's a Disney Plus show, isn't it? So I don't have Disney Plus, so yeah. that's a big hindrance. 
Um, you can sail the seven seas like in Black Flag, I assume. Yeah, there is that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I do kind of want to echo what everyone else has kind of said that, like, what I have seen of the show, I, it is good to see it kind of exploring its own territory um, rather than just because, like, having seen the more recent movies as well, like, I think the weakest parts were where they were desperately trying to cling on to what had happened in the previous, you know, in, in the original three movies. And I think, you know, it is a galaxy that it's set in. You've got a lot of, you've got a lot that you can work with. You don't need to just stick to the Skywalkers and the Solos. You don't need to do that. Um, so it is, it is kind of interesting to see just from, you know, the outside looking in, just it's good to see such a unique take on Star Wars universe, really. Yeah, I'm really hoping the upcoming Obi-Wan show is not going to overshadow this one as well. I mean, yeah. we, all, we all heard a little nugget about Ewan McGregor going onto the Mandalorian set and him opening up his wardrobe and finding the robes there and him like, oh, I'm back, it's all back. And it's kind of like, I, I'd love um, Obi-Wan series and I love Ewan McGregor and I think the prequels were dissed for a very long time even though they're actually more revered now the generation who grew up with those movies are like getting into adulthood and they're looking back more fondly on those movies rather than the first generation of Star Wars fans who are a bit eh. but I, I really hope that the Mandalorian still gets its own little space and it's kept kept in that as I said that kind of its own little bubble and not having Jedi turn up every five minutes to solve the world's problems really helps with the show as well and it's it feels a little bit more grounded when we know the Mandalorian sometimes gets by with just a bit of cunning and guile and the skin of his teeth in some episodes and it's not all pre-planned and it's not all how he can just use the force to control everything or do everything and that's I think one of the gems of the show it's even though it is very riffing off that Kurosawa wild western aesthetic at the same time, it's its own thing within the Star Wars universe. I think that's one of the things that's made it popular, though. It's kind of like the New Age Firefly in that kind of Western sense. It's definitely yeah. filled a hole there. Yeah. So, it's doing what Firefly couldn't and got a second season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm waiting for Nathan no, Fillion to show up now in the background. <laughs> oh, I love that. That would be brilliant, though. Um, Nathan Fillion can just show up in everything and it'll be golden. But yes, it, there's definitely a kind of like a taste for it and there's a place for it and it kind of works in a way that if you do think about a huge galaxy, like, yeah, there's bound to be places around the edges of these galaxies that would be a bit rough and ready and not everything's going to be nice and pretty and, you know, elegant towers or great big technology. And it's an interesting way to see a big old universe and how big it really is. I think the other good thing for this show is it's kind of definitely riffing off that kind of lone wolf and cub um, scenario from kind of um, that. But again, I think the, the other key for it for me is that choosing your family, the fact that mm -hmm. Mando as a character is a, a bounty hunter. But in that first episode of the first season, he makes a conscious choice to not do what he was set out to do. And he's, he's forming his own family, which is quite interesting. So there's a very um, kind of 
father son or <laughs> familiar relationship that's going on there and even with the secondary characters that they bring bring in Cara Dune for example hasn't been brought in in the traditional kind of love interest aspect it's just he's forming his new family yeah. the Mandalorian as a as a as a society has fallen apart and we've seen that a couple of times now but it's that choice he's making a choice to change himself and form his own family and I think that's something that that re- that kind of resounds whereas yeah other Star Wars has been about other families this is the I'm <laughs> we're making we're making our own family which is quite nice and I kind of like that yeah. sensibility of we are who we choose to be around which is kind of another thing is in a similar way to what we were talking about earlier with the D&D type stuff it's that different people coming together to form this very um close-knit you know family of their own yeah I think it's a very enduring theme in culture like x-men umbrella academy all that kind of thing it's like it's really popular especially with people of slightly younger generations who might be a bit disenfranchised with everybody else and be like well i can you know i've got my friends around me you know we really support each other and we can be a family of sorts and it's really really appealing to see that Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's one of the great things about the family. It's a family of necessity at the same time. It's a case of they have to learn to work together and they might not might not be the typical group of people that you'd put together in any kind of other situation. But having to work together and work through these very difficult paths and situations they're put in makes them bond much better as a group. And again, that that probably references back again to D and D, where it's like yeah. with your party, you'll you'll build that experience and you'll go through those mm-hmm. adventures together, and that's what helps bond yeah. the party together. Absolutely, you like watch it, watch each other's back, and always be nice to your healer because <laughs> <laughs> if things go wrong, they're the person you need to rely on. It's that subversion of expectations as well that we saw with characters like IG Eleven. Yeah, who is is goes from being a ruthless killer to being the nanny. Yeah, <laughs> and then making the ultimate sacrifice so that everybody else can survive. And I kind of like that sense yeah. of like, you know, um, people aren't who they at first appear to be. And yeah, that that's kind of an interesting story trace to take. That you know, don't judge a book by its cover and stuff. So it's kind of interesting. Um, to see that explored more definitely so streaming on Disney Plus by the time this episode comes out but I'm hey. sure I'm sure we'll be reviewing it at some point over the next few episodes and we'll give you our thoughts in the future thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brewing podcast this week Lauren where can we find you online if you on your socials if um, I am on Instagram at Captain Little Person so that's all one word and on twitter at the little person so i'm a very short person in case it wasn't obvious (laughs) i i I haven't grown since i was 14 and it kind of got away with me (laughs) (laughs) matt where can we find you online uh you can find me on twitter mr matt level and you can find me on instagram matchstick underscore matt and um i help lay out with the gaming roundup every friday on the geeky brummy website or your finest esports news 
those people who want to play in tournaments in a rather larger group than a D&D group. <laughs> Lee, where can we find your details online? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I make gaming videos, um, do a narrative series called Losing the Plot, various different things on there, covered games like Control, Last of Us 2, um, Celeste, and by the time this comes out, there should be special techniques of horror video out all about horror stories in video games. Um, I do updates on the channel on Twitter, Bob the Pet Ferret, uh, it's supported by Patreon, Bob the Pet Ferret, and I tweet more generally at the cheap ferret as well. That's, I think yeah. that's everywhere. <laughs> Mainly about big dinners currently, I believe. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not get into that. <laughs> Keith, where can we find you online? Um, I shall also plug my Instagram, which is Hard Luck Hotel, um, with my where I put my arty photos on. Um, then on Twitter, which is my geeky brummy rebroadcast channel, is hardluck <laughs> underscore hotel. Um, but at the moment, you're best to find me online on the geeky brummy website on a Wednesday at ten when the post of new comics goes up, and then throughout the day on Wednesday for um, some more previews of those comics and other ones that I'm um, kind of wishing I had the finances to buy, and a couple of the odd um, comics related news in our in what I'm calling my meanwhile section, um, where it's kind of random bits of news or uh, trade paperbacks that have come out or kickstarters that um i'm going to get other people to back rather than back myself um until, until i suddenly win the lottery and where do you usually pick up your pull list from Keith? my actual comics yeah right i actually i go strangely to a, a little known store <laughs> called worlds apart birmingham but don't let them know that I haven't been for a while because of COVID. I'm, I'm kind of planning my next trip. <laughs> I can imagine that there's a, slowly there's a slowly growing pile and I think somebody's going to be annoyed when I keep going, can, can you add this title and can you add that title? I'd bet to go and pick them up, which I will do. We do do mail order now. I just, just to I say, if it's more we can that send out in chunks. You can oh, send it recorded. I'd rather come in and see. I come, come in and, and see. And also because I want the Jimmy Olsen trade paperback that's just come out. Um, so I'm just going to just bundle that in as well. At some point. <laughs> and you can find me at Ryan Parrish, which is Geeky Bruby Retweet Twitter channel. Uh, you can find me at Bruby Gormond at the minute, mainly just making gifts about Bake Off and making <laughs> sassy comments. That's pretty much my Tuesday now, is just tweeting stuff about Bake Off all night and moaning and complaining <laughs> whilst eating shop bought cake as, as is tradition. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how can you mess up that fondant whilst eating my third kit? <laughs> as I mentioned, you can find us all at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all at Geeky Brummy now. So you've got no excuse. That's G W E K Y B R U W M I E, which I'm sure you probably know by now if you found this, because that's kind of what you have to type in to find the podcast on all your streaming services. Uh, don't forget to give us a like subscribe share tell all your friends let everybody know about the stuff that we do uh we're coming up to our fifth birthday at the start of next year <laughs> so uh might have something in the works for that but keep right on keep subscribed but uh thank you very much for joining us thank you lauren for joining the craziness this week you're welcome it was great to be here and talk nonsense as <laughs> ever <laughs> Uh, as mentioned, the links will be in the show notes for descriptions for all the stuff we discussed in today's show. Uh, but for now, goodbye, everybody. 
Bye. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye.